This week's episode is brought to you by FieldSeats.com. FieldSeats.com is an e-commerce federally licensed firearms dealer. They provide virtual reviews on brand new firearms, optics, and gear where at the end of the review, they give away the item being reviewed to an attendee. Currently, they've got reviews up ranging from $20 for a brand new Smith & Wesson M&P Shield 2.0 to $60 for a new Trijicon ACOG with RMR. Each review has limited seating, so your chances of winning the giveaway are that much higher. Check out FieldSeats.com to purchase your reviews and enter to win the item being reviewed. And use code LETHALMINDS, that's right, LETHALMINDS, to get 10% off your order. Be sure to also check out their Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Field underscore Seats for updates on products and other tips and info. Use code LETHALMINDS to, re- to receive 10% off your entire purchase at FieldSeats.com. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome, everybody, to the Debrief Podcast by Lethal Minds Journal. I'm your host, Nate Gladden, uh, Master Sergeant Type Air Force, and I'm excited to have on two airmen in this podcast, Corbin Lundberg and Caitlin Cardello. So I'm really excited about it, and what I'm going to focus on is kind of what I like to – I so jokingly labeled this podcast the Bad News Bears, or this episode the Bad News Bears, because sometimes we think about the – uh, we think about the reserve, we think about the guard, and we think of like, especially for the active duty veterans, you're like, oh, who are they? They're just weekend warriors or this or that. Uh, I've been fortunate to go across the spectrum of active duty Air Force, Air Force Reserve, and Air Force Guard. Uh, I've been able to, or Air National Guard, I've been able to serve in, inside of all of them or alongside all of them. And they each have their own um, way of coming at it and doing it. And I think there's a lot of different ways to look at it as well. And so it doesn't matter if you're looking at the Army, the Marine Corps, uh, the Navy. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're looking at the Air Force. Guard and Reserve is an option for you. And if you're coming off of active duty, and I think really one of the important things is we want to retain talent. And so go find your way of doing it. So what I did here was I brought on two individuals, Caitlin Cardello, Master Sergeant Type, and they will introduce themselves. But I brought on Caitlin, who is a Loadmaster C-130 I've known her for quite a while, I guess, base almost a decade now. Uh, and then also Corbin Lundberg, who I've known for a few years now, and I've really enjoyed his time. And he's a master sergeant in the reserve side. So she's on the guard side. He's on the reserve side. And we talk about their pathways, right? And like the way that they did it. You know, Corbin, like myself, uh, did the active duty out the gate. Caitlin has gone air guard her entire time. And when you think of that, you just you, you don't really process what that means, right? The opportunities, uh, some of the differences, uh, some of the challenges of actually turning the civilian brain off and turning the military brain on sometimes in the exact same day, right? And so we talk about these different things. We talk about what the reserve offers. We talk about what the guard offers. Um, and for those who are listening to the debrief, understand that a lot of times I want to bring on these panels and I want to talk about it. And we think about, uh, you know, um, how we can get good in the fight or how we can be better at this or how we can, you know, we learn from this person and that. Sometimes just understanding the different ways you can serve. And that's what we're doing on this one. So uh, these are our opinions. These are our thoughts, all those good and wonderful things. But I'm really, really excited to have on these two individuals. Um, and there's a lot of talent here outside of uniform. 
And I think that's important too. So there you go. All right, let's jump in to the bad news bears with uh, Kaylin Cardello and Corbin Lundberg. I'm going to do this because then I'm going to go back and I'm going to watch this and I'm going to see me do that and know that this is where I'm cutting it. <laughs> because it's a very formal podcast, Caitlin. Don't laugh at me. Okay, this is very, very formal. formal. This is very, very formal. formal. So I'm going to do this. Um, I'm going to say we're rolling. I'm going to let you guys introduce yourselves, you know, rank, branch, all that good jazz. And then after that, we'll go first name. And then we'll dive in because I love the fact that neither of you actually know the other one. So this is like good old school style. This is how military dudes and dudettes meet as we sit around, usually a bar and we have a conversation and we find out who, who we are. So, uh, Caitlin, I'll let you go first. Okay. Uh, Master Sergeant Caitlin Cardello, uh, Air Force, Air National Guard, Connecticut Air National Guard, uh, been that my whole career. Sorry, Zoe's crying. Uh, <laughs> been in for 12 years this year. Um, C-130 Loadmaster. I was aerial port before. Got really lucky one day and some old Marine Corps loadmaster, prior loadmaster, uh, knew that we were getting transitioning to C-130s in Connecticut and was like, come to ops with me. And I was like, got it. I have no idea what that means. Got it. Coming. Sure. Um, I had an interview two months later, got hired three weeks later, went to school maybe three months after that. And I haven't looked back. Um, yeah, four deployments as a 130 load now. Um Actually, I'm the, I'm the first and only female instructor in our squadron right now, yep. which I hope changes in the future. I think it will because we have some really badass ladies, um, really phenomenal other loadmasters, pilots, all of it, um, and a newer engineer. And navigators, sorry, I forgot about them. I can never forget about the navs. Um, that's that's kind of it. That's where I'm still living right now. I work for Northrop Grumman as a project manager on the outside. Uh, as a commuter right now, because I live right outside of D.C., um, because my husband works down here. Well, I do too, obviously. But um, we came down here for his job, and I love mine currently. Uh, and they work really well with the military, so I can't complain, really, aside from being 357 miles from where <laughs> I <laughs> perform duty. So uh, that's me right now, really trying to, to the point of this episode, trying to balance both. Yeah. All right. There you go. There's some other stuff in there that you didn't say. I'll say, I'll say it later to embarrass you, but uh, okay. go ahead. Okay. Go ahead, Corbin. Hey, my name is Corbin Lundborg. I'm currently a master sergeant at the fourth combat camera squadron out of Charleston, South Carolina. I'm on the reserve side over there. I live full-time in Atlanta with my wife where we run a creative agency. There you go. Where'd you start? I know you started active duty. I did. I started active duty back in 2009 as a supply troop. I did a uh, one year Osan Korea was my first assignment Then went on to Aviano for three years and then uh, enjoyed, I enjoyed the ride, but I was uh, ready to explore full-time art. So I went out, uh, I got out, went to the reserve out of Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I was still supply troop there for about a year until the opportunity to cross train uh, rose. And I went the PA route. And then once I learned about combat camera, uh, realized that was home and um, that's where I've been since. There you go. Question for you right out the gate with that is, is combat camera reserve and active duty only, or does the guard have it? Only reserve and active duty. Correct. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we've had a few people come over from the guard recently to be combat cameras. It's uh, we have, there's only two combat camera squadrons in the air force, one active one reserve. And we are, uh, we're co-located TFI. Um, share the same squadron, same space, same missions, and we go out the door together. 
Okay, cool. That's yeah. Cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, I had one of my uh one of my young troops, she actually asked, she's um so doing a mentoring thing or whatever and, and she's PA. We were talking about different things, and that's the one that I told you I was gonna, you know, yeah. connect you guys. She decided to go for one more year, uh, to extend for one more year with us, which is great, you know. Um, that that's a good thing. But um, she's trying to go through and finish an education thing she's doing, so she definitely doesn't want to move right now. And I don't blame her. Like, why not keep going? So um, but yeah, she she asked that question. I was like, I actually don't know, but I think it's only reserve and active duty. So I'll ask that question. So now she has that, she can listen and she can be like, there's the answer. I got it right out the gate. So yeah, absolutely. It's a small community. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's pretty cool though, man. I love, I love it. So, all right. So I want to have some fun. You know, we, we do want to talk about this, this, uh, you know, I talk about it in the introduction. This is for anybody and everybody, but you know, we have, we have people that are active duty that are coming off active duty, or we have people straight out the gates, you know, from the civilian streets trying to come in and, and join either the guard or the reserve. Right. And that's why I was like, well, why not have an episode that's guard and reserve? And obviously I'm going to get somebody that's going to be like, Hey bro, I'm in the Navy reserve and you didn't include me. And I'm going to pick on you because you're not here to defend yourself and say that that's because the Navy's stupid. Um, but really that's just because I can pick on them. And because my brother-in-law who lives just down the street from me is Navy. So I wanted to pick on him, you know, um, so why not? Um, but no, the honest answer is every version of every branch is going to have their different thing. But this is to kind of give context to the different branches of, oh, that's right. There is something out there other than the active duty. So if you're leaving active duty, consider this. Just like Caitlin said right at the gate, like it was a Marine, a former Marine who told her to let's go to ops, you know, that kind of thing. Right. So it's like the Marines end up in the Air Force. Uh, I, I fly with Marines turned Air Force. Uh, I fly with Army and Navy turned Air Force. Uh, and and so, I mean, maybe that's the trending item here is everybody tries to turn Air Force. Um, but, you know, they it see is the good side. Yeah, they see the good side. But that is the option is think about the guard and think about the reserve and think about the different paths, which is why I wanted to bring you guys on, because we want to talk about how do you balance your military and your civilian life. Um, and we want to talk about how those benefit the other one. Right. And sometimes they don't. Sometimes it really sucks. And it's not always easy. Uh, but we do want to talk about those different dynamics um, at the same time that we just honestly talk about like our careers and our pathways, right? Because I think it's important. So I want to start, I want to bring something up, uh, Caitlin, because I think this is really cool and really important. And then from there, we'll kind of dive in. I want to kind of dive into that military civilian life balance. But before we do, you said something about being the uh, uh, first and only female uh, instructor currently right now in Connecticut, yeah. right? But you also yeah. were the first female in Connecticut, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, for flyers, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. For flyers, yeah. Obviously, we had arms and uh, airfield management troops before, but I think coming from like the fighter days, it wasn't as popular, maybe. Um, and yeah, I was the first enlisted. Air crew. I'm pretty sure actually it was. You were the first female. You were the first enlisted. You're, yeah. Yeah. I know this. I know this because I was there. And I think I I (laughs) haven't said that yet on here, but I I was very fortunate to go up there as initial cadre and and when they got the C-130s. And so from Caitlin's very first flight as a C-130 loadmaster, I've been able to see this progression, which has been cool. But I do think that's important, right? Like that's a unique thing inside of it too, is. And this is a very selfish thing for me to bring up because 
again, a couple of my troops are, are younger females and I want them to understand that like, you never know when an opportunity is going to present yourself. And I know a couple of them have painted themselves in boxes like, Oh, I got to do this or I got to do that. And I'm a big believer of that's horseshit. So I was like, well, I'm gonna get somebody on that can actually say that's horseshit. So there you go. Yeah, it is. I agree. But I, I understand where they're coming from though. Um, because you're supposed to fit like granted, I don't know how you're speaking about like paying themselves in boxes, whether it's like job wise, how they act, any of that. Um, but I've been told a lot of times, like, you can't be so nice. You have to be this way. You have to be this way. And it's like, I get it. I get when I have to be a certain type of stern. I get when I have to um, maybe not be like, Oh, everything is fine. Like I get it when you're engine running on load in a dark environment, people can't see you need to be fast running out of gas. Like there's not a lot of time to be like, no, let's slow down. But um, I I understand where they think they have to act a certain type of way. Because to that point, I have been told, again, I have been told that before. Um, but I think it's just trying to step a little bit outside of it and making other people understand, like, maybe your experience is not mine. Um, and that has been one of the biggest things for me, especially um, with my unit. And as I've grown up, I think it's changed a lot because I was, I, I mean, I was a, a kid when I joined and um, like we all were. And when I became a load, I was still a kid. Uh, I don't care that I was 20. I was a kid. So um, yeah. Yeah. Corporal, let me ask you, cause I think you like, you know how you, I know you getting into the combat camera side, you said you made that transition a year after when you were in Minnesota, but I remember you talking about how you ended up actually getting over to PA from supply. And I think that's a pretty rad little story of how that happened. Yeah. So supply was uh, never my, never my gifting. I've been dyslexic most of my life. So spreadsheets, numbers, and letters, I'm just <laughs> physically not good at that job. And um, just that, you know, when I enlisted, I was just trying to get out of the situation and was very open with taking whatever job the Air Force had for me. And uh, there's still no regrets there, but after spending five years there, I knew there was a better place that I could spend my time and use my gifts. And um, yeah, there was a, the command chief at drill one weekend in Minneapolis was walking around the chow hall as we were all eating and we were just um, trying to recruit someone to come take photos for the, for the base. He's like, Hey, we need a new base photographer. Anyone want to be a photographer? And uh, I was ready to get out of supply in a heartbeat. So I jumped up and ran over and, um, that's, I think a big difference between how the reserve and active duty work. Um, I think that following, I don't, I don't remember if it was following day or following drill, but I was over in the PA shop already shadowing, <laughs> kind of working a new job. Um, of course, um, I had to go to tech school, but my LRS commander and then the wing commander both signed a piece of paper and I was pretty much in a, in a new slot. So there you go. Yeah. The rest is history, right? <laughs> yeah, because I know I, I never cross-trained active duty, but I remember people trying to go through that process and it sounded like it was a huge pain. Like it takes a long yeah. time, a lot of, a lot of resources. And um, but this was pretty simple. And I think it was a win-win for everyone. Yeah. You know, active duty is a lot of, it is, it's like you got to hit a certain gate. And then once you hit a certain amount of time, then you can cross-train over here. But then what's the, like, you think you can cross-train to this until the list comes out of what is and what is not there. And it's yeah. a... I did that and it was not easy. Um, yeah, it was not, it was not an easy process. It was a pain in the ass if I'm completely yeah. honest. But <laughs> the Air Force probably loses a lot of talent and a lot of folks due to that. 
They do. They lose a lot. Yeah. They yeah. they lose a lot. Uh, you know, you lose uh, all the branches probably can agree to this, but I know on the Air Force side, you know, there's the there's the honest answer is you lose a lot because how you treat your people, right? Like that's the number one reason of how you do it. But inside of that, that that goes directly to that point, those cross-training windows, right? Now there's a reason why, and there should um there should be windows, right? Everybody should not be, if not, you're going to be in constant turmoil inside of every squadron, inside oh, yeah. of every career yeah. field. There needs to be actual gates and windows. So I actually don't think that's a bad thing. It's mm-hmm. a pain in the ass to deal with it, but I don't think it's bad. Um, as I got, as I've gotten older in my career, I've realized that's way more important, you know, because I need to have time to be able to, if like, if Caitlin comes to me and she goes, Hey, I want to cross train. Well, I want to have time to be like, why? Can we change anything? If you do want to do it, what do you need to do to prepare? Uh, What's the protocol? What's the timeline? When am I going to get a replacement? Like there's a lot of things if I'm trying to like understand and manage like my manning and stuff like that, I really need to understand that. So that's a good thing. But I do look at a lot of that comes down to then the next part is, well, you know, why do we lose a lot of talent? We lose a lot of talent because we don't actually ask them what they like to do. We don't figure out how that plays into what we do in the military, you know, um, I think it's funny, the reserve and the guard don't have different, I mean, obviously each wing has its own specific thing, but it's not like there's that many things different career field wise, right? Like this, you know, there's still, still aviators, there's still security forces, there's, you know, still officer billets and enlisted billets. None of that's really any different. It may just be the mission, you know, depending on where you're at and what you do, but it's pretty much the same, but it's a gigantic difference how somebody's getting treated when you know you're going to be with that person for three years compared to you maybe with them for 30. I mean, mm-hmm. that sounds silly, right? But like, like, you know, both of you are looking at your reserve unit and your guard unit and you've been in that one and maybe they pick up and they go, okay, this mission now goes over here. And so maybe you go with it. But reality is if you choose to stay in that that wing and that state, you know, for the guard, that state, for the reserve, that command, you know, that wing, uh, that kind of thing. If you decide to stay there, you you could do it and you could do an entire career yeah. in one town and one place and then go do your mission at other places. But like you could do that. And that's there's a lot of investment that goes into people. And that's where I think the guard and reserve win a little bit better. But to my opinion, but <laughs> I agree. Being yeah. well. Sorry, uh, being an aviator too, and seeing, I see it a lot on the maintenance side. Um, again, I'm not maintenance, I've never been maintenance, but seeing um, how different aircraft are in the Garden Reserve versus active duty. I've been on quite a few active duty aircraft and they're just not, they're not, there's not, nothing wrong with them, but you can tell they're handled differently. And I think part of that is because in the Guard, like these crew chiefs are going to be here for a long time. They're, that's their intent, right? Or at least six years. Like, they don't, there's no like guarantee of a PCS or anything, right? They're like, this is my plane. There will be my plane for a long time. And even when it's not, even when I move up and move on, it'll still be here or it should still be here, obviously barring any uh, like BRAC or anything like that. But um, that's like, that's where I see it a lot. And it's a very small example and one example, but you're right, Nate. Like truth, I think you're right on the money with it. Yeah. Corbett, inside of your world, you know, like you, you kind of get to see Mm-hmm. you get to see active duty kind of like Kaylee, you jump on a different airplane or whatever, but you get to see active duty side of things also quite a bit because you're going back and forth between the reserve and the, and the active duty. So what's that like for, you know, from seeing it from your perspective? I kind of see it almost like home ownership and home rentals. 
Mm. Or active duty. It's almost like a rental. You're there for, you know, three years in a house. Can't do much to change a whole lot. Don't care to change a whole lot. It's kind of thinking about, you know, the, how you can make it work for the meantime and then on to the next. Whereas home ownership, I mean, that, you know, that's your baby. You're going to live in it. So everything you invest is something that is going to be there for the long haul. You're going to be there. A lot of times, a lot of reservists are there for life. Our senior has been in the squadron for 25 years. So um, for good or bad, it's, you know, people are in for the long haul. And I think that's a big difference there. Yeah. When I got to Dobbins Air Reserve Base, whenever I was, in, you know, I was in the reserve. But when I got there from, from my, I got there active duty wise and then switched over. But whenever I got there, um, the same airplane from the same or uh, the same airplane that was sitting at uh, Connecticut for a long time. It's an 81 model um, that was in Connecticut that actually came from my base down at uh, Dobbins. It chased me up there uh, and then we flew it for a little while. And th- is that the one that's on the stick now? Which one's on the stick out front? Do you know? Yeah. Uh, 0322. 0322 is on the stick. Yeah. Okay. So that yeah. was a Savannah tail. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a Savannah tail. So, but, but like these, these birds go with us, right? But the reason why I bring up these different, um, these different tails, that was a 1981 model. JP Paul retired. He was a crew chief. And he retired in 2005, I believe, 2006, mate. No, maybe it was, it was 2005, I believe. And I remember him asking him a question about something. And he's like, well, you got to make sure this bird gets taken care of and all these, you know, the maintenance guys and the flyers and everything else. And I asked him a question about something with the airplane. And he goes, well, just remember, this hasn't happened in about nine years, but this used to happen on this airplane. And I'm like, how do you know that? And he was like, well, I- in 1981, I marshaled this airplane in from the other side of the ramp when it left Lockheed. He'd been the crew chief on that one airplane since 1981 to 2005. Uh-uh. It was the only airplane he'd ever been assigned to. Mm. Like, and they, like that blew my mind. But like, he knew about like tricky things that used to happen that didn't happen anymore on it, like little weird isms and stuff. That is that investment that you get. That's that, you know, that home ownership. That's that pride. That's that thing. And, I think that's what the reserve and the guard can offer. Um, it's not to be mean, but it's just to be honest with the with active duty. It's a active duty is totally different um, than the guard and reserve. It just really is. It's it's night and day. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it really is. What's one of the headaches with the? So let's switch it. What's one of the headaches with being guard reserve that part time? You know, you got to make that balance between civilian life and military life. Like what's what are some of those things that make them make it a pain in the ass? I'll start um, because I'm I'm experiencing it right now. I just got back from deployment, well, December, mid December, and you know that like frozen in time thing you get where you leave and everyone else keeps moving on, and you come back and oh, you're yeah. like, okay, guys, and they're like, we've we're beyond that, and you're like, got it, catching up, not, nah, and you're, but you're not really catching up. You're trying. <laughs> um, like personal life and for me now at, at work. Um, and it has been like absolutely crazy. Like so many things have changed. So many processes have changed. We have all new project managers. We have like, it's been a total uh, reset at work. Um, and I feel really bad. This is a, this is a Caitlin problem that I have to work fast. I feel bad not giving time to the guard because I, I do love it. Uh, and I love flying. I love all the people. Um, and I, 
don't like going up and looking silly, like, or looking dumb. Like I'm an instructor. I'm there to fly with people like to fly with young guys or people that maybe need some help. And I can't, like, I find myself studying a lot more, which is fine. Um, which is great really. Like it keeps me in the books, but, um, I will feel bad for my civilian job, which like they legally have to let me go. Right. And it's North of Grumman. So a lot of their stuff goes to the military in the long run. Right. So like there, there is not ever a problem and nobody feels that way. Everyone's like, Oh my gosh, you're back. How was flying? How was this? And everyone's super great about it. But I'm like, Oh my God, I'm leaving for a week. I'm so like every month, like four to something or seven days. You're leaving. I'm leaving for a week. How am I going to get all this done? How am I going to do I'm bringing my computer with me. And even leaving the guard or coming back here, I'm like, oh my God, I have so many things to do for that. Like, so for me, it's just learning to rebalance everything again, um, because the deployment was such a nice break to only worry about one thing. Um, and I couldn't bring my computer, my Northrop computer or log in anyway uh, from there. And I think I took it for granted. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, but just maybe because I care about this job a lot, uh, a lot more than not like previous ones, because I like a lot of my other jobs. But um, I just I struggle with the time I give to each job. And it's not yeah. like I'm not working hard when I'm there and, and all of that. It's just a lot. And living to I mean, Corbin can speak to it, too. Right. Like living so far from where your base is. It's like you waste a day getting there. Uh, not waste, but like you spend a day getting there and a day getting back. So it's an extra two days onto however many days you have. Cause as a flyer, you can't, I don't think you can just give a drill weekend. And that's like our squadron expects yeah. more than that anyways, which is understandable. Right. Um, but like, it's just not, again, as a commuter, it's not worth it. Like yeah. you need to have a couple more days. You need to get a couple, like another day or two of flying. You need to be up there with people. And like, to be honest, you need to make the money off of it, especially if you're going to put this much time into it. So that's all of the things I'm trying to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> Corbin, what about you, man? You know, I, I've kind of built my life, I think, around this, this reserve life. Um, when I started at Combat Camera, I lived in Los Angeles, and um, they, they pay for our travel out to drill. We usually meet once every two months for four days at a time. Um, we were able to kind of make our own drill schedule um, with, within the squadron. Um, but that commute was, you know, starting to to be quite hectic, trying to travel through L.A., get on a plane, fly across the country, get to Charleston, work for a few days and fly back home and then deal with the vouchers. And it it, it, was, it was, yeah, just a lot, a lot of hassle. So moving to Atlanta made a lot of sense for us. And then what was nice about that is now my wife can join me. So we can just jump in the truck, drive four hours, and they put us up in a hotel. My wife gets to hang out with the squadron. It builds really that kind of family um, cohesion and um, some good camaraderie and whatnot. And it's easier on her, easier on me. It's more fun for the squadron. And then I pretty much line up my civilian jobs around Air Force jobs. I look at, you know, projected ops, figure out. Um, you know, what, what jobs were best to jump on, put my name on those jobs. And then I just start to fill in my civilian work, you know, six months out around the military jobs and it all works quite well. Um, I would say the friction points come down more to, um, just how fast the reserve works. Everything's a lot, I should say how not fast the reserve works. (laughs) Everything, everything is a lot slower, um, on the reserve side. And sometimes it's kind of nice, um, 
coming off active duty, I enjoyed that because it just gave me some time to finally breathe and like, okay, it's nice, nice little slower pace that I was looking for. But as someone that's quite ambitious and a go-getter, there's a lot of things I'd like to do. And there's just um, not everyone likes to move at that speed just across the whole force, you know, from GS civilians around base that support our missions. The um, There's just just a slower pace. And um, for some people, that's good. For myself, I like to, you know, I'm a fast mover. So yeah, it annoys me. But hell yeah. Let me ask you guys something else. You know, we, we look at it from the standpoint of obviously like our balance of civilian and military life. And, you know, the, the, the family thing is interesting. You know, we'll, we'll move on from that one here because I want to ask you guys something else, but like the family one I know is interesting. Like you said, you got to take, you get to take your wife with you when you're doing the military stuff. And that kind of helps build that camaraderie. I know for Caitlin, like her husband's a badass load master also. So that kind of makes it not at the moment. I'm going to tease him and say that he's not at the, <laughs> oh, yeah, at the he's moment. A total yeah. staff loser right he's now. a staff loser right <laughs> now. So yeah, no, I don't mind to say it. I can say it. I'll oh, see him yeah, in like yeah. a week or two, I'm sure. And then he can punch me in the face, but, uh, but you know, he's just a staff weenie right now. So, but, yeah. uh, but like in, in reality, like, you know, you've been able to build your life, Corbin, with your wife and be able to build that. And then Caitlin and, you know, she's able to do that. A lot of it because they both, you would mention understand each other in the sense of like, you both do the same thing. So like, no kidding. When you say you had a shitty day at work, he actually knows what that means. You know, it's like, oh, I know exactly what you do for a living. So I know what that is. And, you know, so it's a little bit different on the civilian side. So I know that can be a, um, uh, a stressor though for family. Right. Like I know that can be a stressor for a lot of people. They go from their civilian job, they go into the military thing part time, then they come back. So like for the families, they're like, well, you're out. What are you doing? Playing war games this weekend? Like staying at your club? Like, what are you doing? Like, you know, so it's an interesting like, you know, what the heck? Um, I say that, but we won't dwell on that too much. But I do think one of the things is outside of both of them. What is your thing that you personally use to decompress to like hey i don't want the demands of the civilian life and i don't want the demands of the military life and like this is my moment right now to just be me and be my thing so corbin i'll ask you first but what do you what uh, what do you do yeah that's an interesting question in the past when i was active duty supply i took to art as that painting drawing um was my way to decompress and not think about work and take my mind out of the warehouse. Um, leaving that life and becoming a full-time artist, now my work is art. So you kind of have to find something else to fill that gap. And for me, most recently has been rock climbing. So I'm part of a veteran rock climbing club here in Atlanta. And um, I'm in the gym probably at least three days a week climbing. And um, rock climbing has been great because it, uh, it's pushing you there physically. You just see yourself get a lot stronger and um, your body is good exercise, good workout. It's good physical strength, strength, uh, physical strength training, but the social side has been really cool. Um, there's a lot of time just hanging out, talking and um, creating that environment to just catch up with people. That's not sitting at a brewery and, you know, drinking all day, which has been nice to, um, not that I'm totally against that, but it's nice to have something else. Can't be doing that, you know, every day. So um, and then also um, the mental stuff, it's just problem solving. So you're sitting there and I think you're becoming a better, a better problem solver. And um, one of the gyms I climb at is right there on Georgia Tech. And you can just see all the engineers in there nerding out about 
figuring out these problems in, in the bouldering gym. So that's been, uh, that's, that's been one of many, but yeah, I mean, I love hiking, rocking. We live near stone mountain here in Georgia. So my yep. wife and I rock up the mountain usually once a week and, um, our spiritual life, I'm part of a church and stuff. So that's another big outlet. We got community groups here in town and, um, yeah, definitely not just one thing. I think is good to have a lot of different outlets. Yeah. Caitlin, what do you got? Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, definitely lifting. Uh, I, we have a garage gym here. Uh, it's definitely like tr- I start my day with it. Uh, I've noticed if I don't, my day is a lot slower to start and I'm not as focused. So that's something that helps me kind of get where I need to be mentally for whatever the day is. Um, recently started this is going to sound bad. I recently started reading a lot again. Um, I got a Kindle on this deployment and it has, which I was super against. I was like, no, you have to turn the page of books. Uh, no, I was wrong. Um, one of the pilots, like he kind of talked me and he's like, it's the best thing I ever got. I thought the same thing. And I've went, I think I've gone through like nine books already this year. So Good. that's a quite the change from what I was doing last year and the year before. Um, and like Corbin, I, well, with art, I like to paint. Um, I haven't done it this year yet, but, um, and I'm not great. I'm not going to pretend I'm, I'm okay. I can dabble in it, you know, but, um, painting, I don't know, just whatever I feel like that day, kind of going for a walk, hanging out with my dog, going for a run. I, I don't know all of the things, whatever can get me away from thinking about work sometimes and worrying about, or like stressing out about all the things that I didn't finish or which will never be finished. Let's be honest. Um, you know what I mean? Like it's a never ending list of things all the time. Um, and just trying to like separate yourself from that and give it like giving myself time for me anyways is like, again, to Corbin's point, like having a lot of things, that's, that's yeah. what helps me. Like it's never a set thing for me. Yeah. I think that's big. I think that's important. I got to ask you're both, um, both senior NCOs. So that's fantastic. Um, What's that been like? What's the what's the senior NCO? You know, what are the things that you either one you didn't know or you learn from or you're learning uh, or you look at and you go, you know, like all of us before you got there, like when I'm a senior NCO and then now that you are, you know, like what's some of those different things? Because I know we I know we have a ton of like E4, E5, E6 type listeners also. Yeah, I, I'm quite new to the club myself. Um, yeah, I guess say that too. Like, when did you sew on? Yeah, I just put on in October of 2022. So, um, and then in reserve time, I mean, realistically, I'm like a few day old master sergeant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, it's it's been really good. It was something that I did put quite a bit of time and thought to even wanting to put the package in. So on the reserve side, it's it's slot based. And in our squadron, we only have a few slots for master sergeant flyers. So we have ground slots and flyer slots and the flyer master sergeant slot opened. And um, I I met, you know, all requirements and I had the option to put in for the slot. Everything goes to a board and I could apply for the board or stay in E6 for a little while. And I had only been in E6. I hadn't even been a tech sergeant for two years at this point. So, um, ideally I, I thought I was going to hang out at tech for a good while. Cause I think that's kind of the dream rank in the reserve. Um, a little bit less admin responsibility or full out in the field, trusted to lead teams doing the fun stuff and avoiding some paperwork. 
So I thought I was going to hang out there for a good while. Um, but a bit of going back to like the home ownership thing, I see I've been in the squadron for about five years now, and I see myself hanging out here for a good while. And there's, you know, change that I would like to see happen for the better. And to be a part, to be in that room, to speak to that change, that really happens in the leadership meetings. And that's only open to the E7s. So um, it's been more of a a posture of service, which is weird because when one, I never thought I would be an NCO at all when I first joined. My plan was to (laughs) jump out as a senior airman and be done. Yeah. That, that that's you know 18 19 20 year old me so to be here you know 31 master sergeant wasn't part of the plan but i do really enjoy it and like i said it's definitely the posture of service um and i know that probably sounds corny or weird but um you have to i've had to kind of set down some of like what i what i want or what benefits me and think you know how does this benefit the squadron how does this benefit the air force Sure, I'm taking on some stuff that I'm not excited about, but I think um, I, I think overall it's, it's the better move for everyone. And um, also, there's been I think a good amount of just learning. Um, one as like as a man, as a husband, and then also um, as a business owner to be mm-hmm. to be in those leadership meetings. Our our squadron is stacked with good leaders, and to be able to sit there and here, you know, that round table discussion has been a lot of development and growth for me personally too. So. Yeah. Kayla. <laughs> um, so I was kind of listening a lot to that and totally forgot what the question is. <laughs> so if you could repeat it, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> no, it's, you could just piggyback on that. It's honestly, it's that, what has it been like, you know, to be a senior and CEO now? Okay. Okay. Um, so like Corbin, I, um, I so, so I guess sewed on in September. So I don't really got much time at you. Um, and like, like I like a day you, and a half longer. Yeah, right? like a day yeah. and a half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like I told you, it was during a deployment, and like two days later, some craziness happened. Um, so it's been a really fun ride so far. Um, and actually, to Corbin's point, like I was a little bit shocked about it. I still am. I think um, I also thought I was going to ride the tech sergeant wave for a really long time. And I was kind of okay with it. I was like, we're here. This is good. Like I'll, I'll fly the line. I'll be your instructor. I'll be whatever you need. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so we, on this deployment, uh, our first year, it actually started leadership seminars, which are really cool. It for, at first was for um, like techs and new masters run by like senior masters like I guess more senior masters, excuse me, um, seniors and chiefs. If there, I mean, there's only a few chiefs, but and for that, like for Texan masters, like working their way up, right? And then it transitioned to a like a young master and more seasoned tech doing it for the younger guys for like anybody who wanted to show up and it, like through I think through E6, no through E5, and then the E6s were running it, um, and that was really awesome to be a part of. Um, and I think that had a, actually a really big impact. I was me and one of the other is one of the crew chiefs actually was the presenter and we had a whole group of like, uh, E6 mentors too. And so you do like the presentation and that's what led to the discussions. So I think that's been one of the really awesome parts about it, but it was super humbling. Um, because I was actually complained about <laughs> just prior to it. And my senior came to me after one flight and was like, what's going on? And I was like, what? What, 
nothing. Like we didn't hit the plane or anything. Like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And, um, he showed me an email and I was like, I was taken back by it because I like, I, I pride myself in being a nice person for the most part, like, and being like caring about other people, especially on the airplane. Like I'm going to try to make you feel okay about what we're doing. Right. But maybe I was a little bit too stern and it was actually pretty eye-opening to me. And I know like in a deployed environment, you have to move fast. Like you have such a short period of time and where we were, like our days were so long that like, you don't have the choice to take a lot more time on the ground, especially at the beginning of the day. Uh, so if I was being stern to somebody, they took it poorly and I, I didn't even notice it. So it was a good eye-opening experience for me. And of course, I was like, of course, it's just after I put on master. So everyone's going to think I'm being a jerk. I'm being a master, I'm a young master sergeant now. And it's going to my head and all of this. And that's even what uh, my husband was like. You have to be careful with what you do, especially now. Yeah. Like people are going to use that. And I was like, and he's like, you, you can't, like, you have to like combat it. And you, I mean, you have to be you and you have to do what you have to do. But um, yeah. And then that seminar, ironically, was like four days later. And it was for a group like that target group of people. And I was like, God. So it was a big, again, a humbling experience. I actually like made a few jokes about it in it. Um, trying to be like, oh, silly loadmasters, you know, demanding things. Um, but I've been humbled a lot, again, in this very short period of time. Um, and I think I've had to look inside myself a lot more, which I thought I did a lot of before, but I was maybe wrong <laughs> um, because I just want to be, I mean, we all want to be the people we didn't necessarily have, right? Like, don't get me yeah. wrong. I have great leadership now, but even like as a young, young load, it was just a very different environment yeah. um, than where, where we are today, um, where I guess I am today. So uh, like kind of being the, being who the young guys need is really what that's like my biggest goal. And to Corbin's point, he said, sitting at the round table, like having a seat at the table now, like to have, like, that's what people want, right? They want a seat at the table. They want their, they want to be able to hear things that are happening at a higher level to maybe like help the younger guys understand because you're so, I don't want to say not included in it as a younger uh, service member, but like, you don't, you're, you're there to be good at your job and then learn other things. That's right. right? So um, it's, it's just nice now, I think, to maybe have your experience valued a little bit more um, mm -hmm. and be able to, again, my, that's my big thing. I, like, I never want something that happened to me like years ago to happen to anyone else again. And it actually hasn't. And we've had like instances of other things happening. And I think it was my unfortunate situation was a good learning experience for everyone. And if I get nothing else out of my career but that, then that's a win. Um, but yeah, I, that's what, that's really the, my biggest thing with being a senior NCO right now is just like trying to be there as much as I can for the young guys, it, reasonably anyways. Right. Yeah. So I think that's important too, right? Let me, um, I'm going to be careful here. I'm going to be very careful here. Cause I don't like, I'm going to try to not die. I don't want to dive into like a sermon, if you will. Um, but I do think this is a cool thing too, right? So I will, let me shit on myself for a second, shall I? Um, so Caitlin knew me when I was a staff sergeant, like, well, not for long. Cause I made tech, like, yeah. I think yeah, I think I made tech like the month after I got to uh, Connecticut. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was right. Anyways. Cause you went to instructor school, like made tech and then went to instructor school. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So it was like right there at the beginning. And yeah. so, but she knew me then and she, 
listen, if we got on a podcast and I tried to like talk about all these <laughs> wonderful things that I am and all this other, she'd be like, Hey, by the way, I remember. And I'd be like, Oh yeah, that's right. So like, you know, but the honest hey. answer is like, Caitlin knows like, and this is a podcast where like everybody that listens, they should get honest answers, right? Caitlin knows what it looks like when I am 100% totally smashed with Mardi Gras beads around my <laughs> neck and I'm in my flight suit with it totally unzipped, like stumbling all over at a squadron party uh, because we decided to celebrate Mardi Gras. And I decided I would drink an entire handle of vodka in a, in a Viking horn as fast as I could. Um, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. Not hard to... <laughs> pretty quick to when you said that, it right? yeah i was like, like oh, okay. oh yeah i do remember that but <laughs> yeah. like no i say that for this reason right i look at that i i say that for this reason there's some people that'll listen they'll be like ha 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 that's awesome and listen i'm sure it was awesome i don't remember most of it because i was just being an idiot and drinking but then i look at it also and i go okay so now i'm a master right and i moved on and i'm not there where caitlin's at and i'm not telling people they have to be like by the book all the time listen the furthest thing from the truth uh it would be me lying to you if I said that you have to be perfectly structured at all times. But the honest answer is like, if I showed up to Connecticut tomorrow and they like said, okay, you're put in charge. And then I like tried to like tell these people, all these things you have to do. Like somebody like Caitlin could be like, Hey, bullshit. I saw you and how you acted before. Right. So it's a real thing. So there's this weird dynamics of, Hey, as you're growing up, you're going to learn some stuff, but then you have to also understand that when you get to that next thing, kind of like she said, like people are going to, you know, they're going to look at you. They're going to like, they're going to expect certain things. They're going to judge you. They're going to do these, these real things. It's a matter of growing up. Right. So I'm picking on myself a little bit, but it's at that time I was having fun because I was having fun and it was i was off duty and it was just us being goofballs and we were in a safe environment we were good but it was you know that's all great and wonderful however there has to be that that understanding of like different things right so i'm now a master sergeant like it's hilarious but so i made master a month before we deployed in what 17 or whatever so I think it was seven. Yeah. 17. Yeah. It was. Yeah. So that was when I made master was right then. And then we deployed like a month later and then, you know, we're all downrange together. And, but I think about that and I look at it now, I used to always have my uh, zipper unzipped. Caitlin knows this. Like I, (laughs) my my, to the belly, to the belly button. I have, I wore my flight suit to the belly button until I got like, no kidding until I made master. And then uh, I actually went on the deployment and I was still me. So I just didn't, but I came back from it and I got back and I remember getting pulled in. And I remember Colonel Gwynn, he's, he's like, Hey, Nate, just so you know, he's like, it's, it's all good, man. You do whatever you want. But like at a certain point, the younger ones are just, they're not going to take you serious. Cause you don't take yourself serious. And I was like, whatever, what do you know? you know, you, what do you know, Colonel? Like, <laughs> no, <OG. laughs> and yeah, yeah, exactly. OG. Uh, and then eventually I was like, you know, that like, that's, that's true. And I get to actually be myself, but at the same time, you know, also take on that responsibility. And so you, and, and that's kind of a long way to say, but if you look at it now, my, I'm in my last assignment, I'm in my last little bit, I'm inside my window about to be done. And right now I'm my job, like I have a couple different jobs. One of them is to be the NCOIC for our entire, you know, our wing as we transition into, and we're converting, we're converting into a TFI, right? So we're converting into a wing. And so now I'm sitting in these conversations with colonels and chiefs, right? We're having these different things. And the colonel 
asked me the other day, who would you replace? Like, who's your replacement? And I was like, what do you mean? I was like, it's your decision. He's like, I'm asking you, who would you replace you with? And I was like, oh, shit. All right. So I did some real research and like really thought about it and came up with my suggestion and offered this up. And like when I really sat down and I thought about like what I would, who I would want to take over for me, I didn't just go, oh, it's my bro. It's this guy. It's that guy. I started to think back of like, well, you know, basically who's not like me when I was young. <laughs> like I started to like look at like all these mistakes and started to try to figure it out. But the point I'm trying to make in all of this is, you know, from a, you know, maybe it's mentoring you guys again. I said before we started, I'm starting to get a little bit nostalgic and starting to be like, all right, guys, like, let me leave you a little better and I found you kind of thing. But it, the honest answer is like him asking me that you wouldn't have asked me that when I had my zipper down, you wouldn't have asked me that if I was the same, like drinking in the squadron, partying all the time and doing everything else. When you become a senior NCO, you need to have that middle ground where you're able to, you know, the dudes and dudettes, you're able to get out and get the mission done, hack it, get after it, do all the stuff. And they're still supposed to be able to believe that you're one of them. But there's a, they're supposed to also understand that you're privy to things they're not. And if they don't understand that, then it's not, then if they don't believe that and they don't see that, then it's not real. You know, like you have to define that to where it's like, Hey, I'm going to be with you guys for a little bit. And then I'm gonna go over here. And when you go over here, they don't need any of that. They need you to be, they need you to be a senior NCO. Like if you're sitting in a room with senior NCOs and senior officers, you need to act like it. And, and those are two different things. And then somewhere in the middle, bring your personality to both and be able to like go back and forth to under, be able to explain both sides to both people. I don't know. That's just me. I think that's, I think that's maybe one of the, it's one of the things I've learned over all the time. And then at the end of the day, it's, you got to be the spine. Like you're an NCO in the United States military and you're a senior NCO, which means you're supposed to be that much better than the other ones. You you better be the spine for everybody along the entirety of the enlisted and the officer corps. So rant over. Sorry. Sorry. That was great. Yeah, I was a dysfunctional human when I was young. So I'm still dysfunctional. I wouldn't dysfunctional. say that. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. You've always been, I will say, Nate, for like how, I don't want to say how different, but in a way how different, like maybe you were. I haven't tri- I haven't hung out with you in a long time, except when I saw you at the restaurant we went to and uh, when we were all near you. Yeah. Um, you've always had everybody's backs. I will say that. So that has never changed. Okay, yours zipper down. I and I completely agree with what you're saying and what Colonel Gwen said to you. Uh, like, take yourself seriously, right? Because I actually, Mitch actually um, had that conversation with uh, Chief Traff once. Uh, he, when him and Bobo used to have parties all the time, right? Like, they pulled him in and were like, "Hey, we see you do like going this way. You got to stop it with that stuff. Like, we can't be having you guys have parties all the time. Like, you need to be seen seriously." So. And I mean, it worked out, right? Like, darn, he can't have parties. I guess people are going to go have to hang out somewhere else, you know? Um, But sorry, going back here, you've always had everybody's back. Like from the moment I met you, you you have been trying to like help other people. And I I just assume that has followed you through your career, at least based on like listening to your podcast and stuff, it seems to have. um, But like, I don't want you to discount that part of it. I know you probably don't, but um, this is just Caitlin being like, I know the Nate that I, that I <laughs> met a long time ago and the one and kind of the one now. Right. So uh, the whole time you, you've definitely had, especially like the younger enlisted's back. 
uh, or like newer to flying and all that. So I want to say thank you for that. I know that's not what this is about, but just like <laughs> no. piggybacking off of, yeah. uh, I guess we can't say that anymore. Sorry. But um, we can't say piggyback. I, I don't know. I can't at my job now. I don't know if it's, I mean, if that was a thing. It must be yeah. a civilian thing. Like maybe. So people say know. circle back or whatever, but anyways. Um, yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And I think it's kind of helped shape me as a person, at least me as a, an NCO a little bit. Like, uh, Anyways, yeah, I'll just stop there. I don't need to keep rambling. Now, now I rambled for too long, so I'm sorry. <laughs> but Corbin, I want to ask you, because I think this is pretty freaking, uh, I, I think it's pretty rad what you do, right? Like, obviously, I know the world that me and Caitlin have lived in on the flying side, but I like what you get to do because, you know, you switch over to combat camera, which is a really friggin' rad job. And then you get to be on the ground and then now you're in the air, right? And you get to do some pretty cool things, man. So, but you get to see aviation quite literally through a different lens than we do. Right. Um, what is that like? Like, what is the eight, like for you that, that air, um, the difference in air to ground, but also just like, what is it like to be an aviator, to be in the air, do all that? Oh, that's a, that's a, a really good question. I'll start, I'll get the negative out first. If, if I could say that and then end on a good note because the, the good outweighs the bad by a ton. But I think there's a little bit of imposter syndrome that's come with being a flyer. I feel a little bit like a fraud in a flight suit. Like I don't really fly a plane. The plane would be just fine without me if I didn't show up. You know, it it doesn't affect that aircraft at all. Whereas um, I feel some of that core air crew not showing up, that plane's not flying. Um, so there's, there's a little bit of that. And, um, you know, that's not anything that, keeps me up at night, but just being, you know, in the room and at the table, sometimes I, I think there's a little bit of that, like, why are you here? Oh, you guys flyers. Are you on AOs? Why are you wearing wings? You know, just kind of confused about who we are and what our mission actually is. And the air force as a whole has struggled with that as we've gained and lost flying status multiple times throughout the years. And it's something that's always on the chopping block for us. Um, and that's, that's another reason why I take the job so serious is because I think it's a very important asset to have. And when we do well, it reflects the program well. And um, it shows people um, why we have that seat at that table. And um, I guess that, that would be to the negative, just a bit of that imposter syndrome. Like, do I really, have I earned this? Do I fit in? Do I belong here? And that's something I'm, you know, working through. But again, that's pretty small. The the benefits to it, it's, it's just been a lot of fun. This past year, I deployed on a BTF, which is Bomber Task Force. So right before Russia invaded Ukraine, um, we had a BTF set up before that, but we just happened to be there as it happened, which was a pretty monumental deployment. Um, so I was with the 69th Bomb Squadron out of Minot. We deployed to England with four um, B-52s, and I was um, part of the air crew there flying and documenting those missions and the imagery coming back was a bit of deterrence. It's historical. We're documenting. And then also um, with aggressive intercepts and whatnot, uh, we have a camera in the sky to document that. Um, so it's been really fun to be a part of like, you know, bomber heritage and to be flying bombers out of England is as a history nerd is just one of the coolest things for me. And then uh, what, what else is kind of cool about that is, they wanted a camera on every single flight and there was pretty much two of us and they were flying like every other day, 10 hour mission. So it racked up some crazy amount of hours in the B-52. So when I left that deployment, I had like the most flight hours out of 
everyone on the deployment <laughs> as the camera guy. Um, and I mean, just, yeah, the, the looks on the faces of, you know, the young crew chiefs are not used to it. They're out there getting the plane ready. And all of a sudden a dude shows up in a flight suit and helmet and steps onto the bird with a camera and they're like, who's this dude? So um, definitely just a lot of fun stuff that comes from that. And right after that, I was able to um, head out to Kadena there and fly F-15s out of Japan on the next, on my next TDY. So, and then after that, I went to Key West and flew um, uh, helicopters around Key West with the Navy. So you just, you're on different airframes all the time, just kind of doing the funnest stuff of everyone's job time and time again. So I feel really blessed and spoiled to be able to do that. And, um, the, and that's all balanced with something else I love, which is the ground side. I love, uh, I love playing army too. I love being in kit, shooting guns, rocking, um, carrying heavy stuff and sleeping in the mud. Um, but to say that I like that balanced with aircrew life, um, yeah. it's fun to be able to, <laughs> to pick and choose. Um, I don't think I want to live in the dirt full time, but I also, um, get kind of bored of hotel life sometimes too. It's like I joined the military to do what feels like military stuff. So to be able to um, literally put on a flight, you know, a flying helmet or a combat helmet on the ground, it just depends on, on the mission and we're able to do all that. So I think that's something that's really cool about this job that um, not a lot of people get to experience in the military. Yeah. I'll say cool. I'll say this, and I actually am interested in Caitlin's side of it also, but I'll say this from the whole like imposter syndrome thing, right? So again, as I've gotten older, um, but the honest answer is like, I have been on deployments and I've been on TDYs the majority of my career. Um, That's pretty much what I've done for a living and Caitlin now as well, right? Uh, At no point have they ever asked me in any of my aviation career field you know, jobs, roles, responsibilities, deployments, anything, any mission I've been on. At no point did they tell me to grab a hold of the yoke and start maneuvering the airplane. They haven't asked Caitlin to do that yet either, right? And so the whole imposter syndrome thing, I totally get it. Uh, there's a certain thing where when we switched uh, in, in Connecticut from planes that had pilots only to having enlisted air crew and even having an, uh, another officer, it was different. The first conversation I ever had there, listen, it was one of the first dudes that showed up. And one of the, one of the first conversations I had was with a whiskey in my hand in Sloth's office. So she'll know who Sloth is. So in uh, the OG at the time, the Colonel at the time who said, you're enlisted. I don't think you should wear a flight suit every day because you don't have real wings. And I had a whiskey in my hand because he poured it for me and he had a whiskey in his hand and it was like 9 30, 10 o'clock in the morning. And it was like the second day I was there, I think. So I was brand new in the squadron. And he's like, what's your opinion on this? You think? And I was like, uh, I earned my wings just as much as you. And he's like, well, no, you know, it's a little different. And I was like, I'd love for you to tell me how it's different. Cause I, I was a flight engineer at that time. So I was like, well, I learned how to work on the airplane. And then I learned how to fly on the airplane. You just learned how to fly on the airplane. So if there's one of us that knows more about it than the other one, it's me. So I was like, you shouldn't be able to wear your wings when you're on this airplane. You've never flown this airplane before. And like, he just took a nice swig of his whiskey. And then I took a big swig of mine. because I was like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it just got fired. Uh, and then he was like, I can see your point. And now that was like a real thing, right? When I got back from the deployment, the first person who handed me a beer off the airplane was Sloth. He gave me a big hug. 
gave me a beer and was like super pumped. And at that point he was a general and he was like totally cool with it. And he was just like so proud. He didn't give a damn what rank you were. He didn't care what job. So the imposter syndrome thing, I get it. The other side of that too is I'm going to tell you right now that used to be back in the, you know, in the world war two days, everybody saw that and they looked at aviation and it was like, Oh my God, we want to be a part of this. And so many flyers happened after that. And the reason why they learned about that was because of film and because of photography, they, the generations that led to all of us wanting to aviate doesn't happen without some, for the most part, without somebody taking photos or taking video footage. You fast forward all the way to now, there's a kid right now who will get into the active duty reserve guard because they see a photo and they'll be like, I want to go do that. So the whole imposter syndrome, I get it. Like, I think that's probably healthy because it'll make you do your job better. But at the same time, anybody that want anybody that has uh, you know and i'm i'm one of the old guys one of the little wreath guys anybody that's inside the aviation world that wants to say that somebody that wears a bag somebody that has wings they didn't earn their wings i will be very polite when i say they can go fuck themselves because you've already earned it like you you do the things that are required to earn it now i'll shut up now let caitlin but i, I am interested in your in your point all or your point of view from this also uh, yeah, so I actually got to fly with combat camera for the first time. If I flew with combat camera before, I don't remember. So I'll, yeah. I'm just gonna say that now. And then if anyone's listening, I'm sorry. But on this deployment, and so it's interesting your side of the imposter syndrome because all of us were like, "Yes, we have cool PA." Like, not that all of our PA is cool, but like we have combat camera. This is awesome. And take some sick pics. And like, I could go to the guy and be like, "Hey, please don't take a photo of this right now." And he'll be like, "Got it." Like things mm-hmm. like that. And the guys that we flew with were super cool. Um, so I'm, I want to say that because I I think what you guys do is awesome. Um, I know like there's a story of combat camera flying on the Chicago air show bird with one of our guys, like getting some crazy photos. And the pilot that was flying it at the time, he was a like historically known to be a cowboy type thing. Mm-hmm. And as, as if you didn't fly a lot or someone or for someone that doesn't fly with him a lot to just like put themselves on that plane willingly, like that's more than I probably would have done at the time, honestly. Um, I know who you're talking some about. Big, yeah. And like, there's actually footage of that online. Uh, you can find <laughs> I it. I have that photo <laughs> on my phone. I can send it to him. Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, and I, I don't know how you guys do it. And like swapping aircraft all the time. I actually, I, I knew that, but you putting it in perspective, the way you just did was really interesting going from, um, bombers to fighters to helicopters like wild so cool uh, I kind of wish I could do that to be honest um, I think it's super rad but to Nate's point too with the like people not earning their wings I don't think that's anybody's like I think that's a really rude opinion to have uh, especially if you don't live in the world they live in mm-hmm. um, just because you have a certain job doesn't mean that'd be that's like I don't know any enlisted aviator saying like you don't deserve to be this because you have this other job I think it's an old way of thinking that we don't need extra negativity from uh, anymore. And I could see like people looking at people. They're not like familiar with funny, like walking out to a plane, but I don't think, I mean, I get everyone has their opinions, right? We all have them, but um, I just think it's overplayed. Like we don't need that in the air force today. Personal opinion there. No, we don't. I love that. I think it's, I think your job's pretty freaking rad. Like yeah. when I was, yeah. Like when I was considering like, all right, it's time to go. It's time to do this. I was actually no kidding. Talking to Katie um, about going just part-time 
and just becoming a part-time guy and, and seeing if I can maybe ride this out for a, an extra decade as a part-timer, you know? <laughs> um, and, but I was like, man, it'd be some cool jobs. And I was thinking about where I was moving. I was like, man, I wonder if I should reach out to Corbin and see if there's any way I could do that. That'd be pretty cool. So like that thought actually, that, that legitimately crossed my mind. Cause I was like, I know a dude who does that. That'd be an awesome thing to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then I just realized I was like, no, I'm old and washed up. I'm going to retire now. But, but I thought about that. And I was like, no, that's like legit. Like that's a cool job, man. Like you guys have some pretty cool. Also, yeah. you guys have some friggin' rad competitions that you get to go to. Like, yeah. That's pretty badass. Like Caitlin, have you seen some of those comps that they do? No, I thought you were going to say rad gear because they do have the camera gear. guys that came on our planes had some nice gear. And I was like, yeah, I've seen dudes jump out of the airplane, like in bad guy land that didn't like, I've seen dudes that didn't look as cool as the combat camp. Yeah. Guys. <laughs> they look way cooler. We get some hate for that, but especially from the army. It's just jealousy. We're all jealous. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's all it is. That's all it yeah. is. Another fun part about kind of that ground aerial element on my last deployment to Africa, you know, I get to hang out with the C-130 of the rogue squadron out there in Djibouti quite a bit. And, um, they would fly me down to, you know, these forward operating bases. And for them, it was drop off and go back home to Djibouti. And for me, it was pretty fun because I would, you know, jump off the aircraft, live down in the tents, you know, with soft teams for a bit and then get back on. And they're all like, oh, what's it like? So what's it actually like inside those HESCOs? Because it's kind of a mystery yeah. for everyone else. The air crew, you know, come unload the aircraft and then yeah. fly back somewhere else. So to be able to kind of really navigate the whole AOR and see everyone's job in hand and it really gives you a perspective of what's going on and the importance that everyone plays everyone's job you know is driving the mission yeah there's so much you don't know about until you do things yeah. like that or like meet people like that and like i mean even you so in where you out of Djibouti right like yeah. see, seeing what is seen there and then going to all those places right and mm-hmm. actually understanding there's more than just this little it's not a little, it's a large base, right? But more than just yeah. this base that exists, but like so many people don't have that. And it's so cool that you got to actually stay with some of those guys and probably honestly get better food um, than what you had up north. But Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that's super cool. And it really, it like, it changes your appreciation so much for what's going on and yeah. like why things are the way they are, you know, and like why we're doing the things we're doing. So it's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to, I want to kind of, uh, I say wrap it up, but I, I, I kind of want to do a little bit of, um, shall we say enticing marketing, recruiting, um, uh, insulting, whatever we would like to say to the active duty people. Uh, so I want to pick on the active duty people because, and, and not, not just the kiddos that could be on the street. Cause it's mainly not going to be them that are is listening to this. It's mainly going to be active duty guard reserve. So it doesn't matter what branch you're in on active duty. Um, I hope you're having fun. But your job is terrible and you could come have fun with us, you know, the guard and the reserve. So, um, you know, have your leadership reach out to me and cuss me out if they'd like. But I'm just going to say that life's better in the guard and reserve. So um, with that recruiting spiel, I do want to, like, let each of you kind of give people that, like, hey, if you get to come join our world, this is the kind of thing you can expect. Um, Because I think it's also pretty cool. All three of us came from something other than what we do now. Right. And so I'm in my. I think I'm in my fourth career field. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many bases I've been to, but I'm in like my third or fourth career field now. Right. And I started on the ground and then I worked my way into the air and we all kind of did some version of the same thing. Right. And started mm-hmm. somewhere else. So 
kind of give everybody your spiel, you know, as to the why you join the Guard Reserve, you know, and and also just the adventure of doing something different once you're in. Caitlin, I'll let you start with that. Okay. Uh, I, I joined, uh, cause I couldn't pay for college, honestly. Um, and I did a lot of volunteer work with the Patriot guard riders, which if you don't know what it is, it's a group that was started because of, um, well, started by mainly Vietnam vets because they were spit at and yelled at and stuff when they came home and they said, when troops come home, we never want them to have to experience what we did. So that was like their initial, uh, like mission. And it's, uh, gone beyond that now, like having, holding flags at welcome homes, deployments, uh, funerals, all that. Anyways, I got to hang out with all those guys, like significantly older than me, right? I was in high school when I started volunteering with them and um, I still do today. And they were probably anywhere from like 50 to 85. I, I, I couldn't tell you their ages. And they're just so cool. And I was like, man, I want friends like that. They all relate to each other. There's so much camaraderie and also I can get school paid for. So uh, that's why I joined. I didn't know anything about active duty. I just knew my dad's friend was in the air guard and I'm, he was like, this is a good idea. And I was like, got it. Um, but it worked out because I didn't know at 18 what I want to do with my life either. Um, and I still sometimes don't know, which is fine. Uh, but I will say it is the happiest. I don't know how, I don't want to say mistakes. It wasn't a mistake, but the happiest, sure. I'll just do this that I've ever uh, done. Um, again, flying, like I said, it was kind of a happenstance thing and I wouldn't take it back. I have flown with uh, active duty crews and they have said they wanted to come guard. Like it was on a J model, all four of the, uh, crew, well, I say all four of the crew positions, but it was two crew positions, right? It was pilots and loads. And they're all like, yeah, I'm actually looking at it. I'd love to do that. And I was like, come to us. Uh-huh. And, um, after going to C-Slick, uh, the career enlisted aviator senior leadership course in Texas, um, like learning more about the active duty side, like more of the intricacies and how a lot of the plane aircraft are being phased out. And um, like to, I guess you guys were talking about it or, earlier, the um, cross training point, how difficult it is. And like it is truthfully, especially what when you become an E-78, it's where they need you, right? It's not necessarily, you're not going to necessarily go fly with the plane you want to fly in or like the plane you're a part of, or even a squadron that you've ever experienced before. And I would kept trying to like ping like, hey guys, if you want to do the do that, but also maybe stay flying, you could come to the guard. It's a great idea. And some people are like, yeah, it's a good idea, but it's only this. And I, I think that active duty is a little bit misinformed about the guard personally, um, and that's kind of like one of my big things I try to instill in people. Like, there's more than just one weekend a month, especially in the flying community side. Like, mm-hmm. and even in the non-flying community side, there's a lot to do. You just don't hear about it because the guard, like, it does kind of sell itself as like one weekend a month, two weeks a year, and you get all these benefits. But like, there's so much more that you could be doing. And again, I can speak more to the flying side right now because it's been the majority of my career. But there are always days. There are always days, right? Um, there are trips constantly. There are temp AGR tours, real AGR, so active guard reserve, so like you're full time for. Active duty guys, if you don't know that, or ART, right? Air Reserve Technician Tours, um, Temp Tech Tours, Technician Tours, which are the GS that people hear about. Um, there's just so many options that people don't know exist. Mm-hmm. And they really do help you like with a lot of different things, right? They could help you transition in life a little bit. Like you're not really sure what you want to do civilian side, but you're not ready to give up full-time flying yet. Um, I know it's helped me kind of work my way through some stuff like, 
what do I want to do with school? What do I want to do with life? And it's kind of been a really great, um, I don't say like backbone, but like, it's been a good fallback for me. Yeah. Um, and you always have an opportunity to fight. Like, I don't know about you guys, but we always have people, like we always need people on lines and mm-hmm. uh, we're still to this day, like sometimes struggle, like filling lines. So um, we'll take anyone, we won't take anyone, but if you're, if you seem to be a good fit and you want to come to the garden, have the right qualifications and are not a total jerk bag, then I would say it's a great idea. I, 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 anybody that's come to the guard from active duty that I have met has not regretted their choice. That's just my same. Yeah. Corbin, what do you got? I think I was one of those kids that was a bit bamboozled when I got to BMT. I, I enlisted when I was 17, right out of high school, knew nothing about the military, got to BMT and they started doing like kind of a roll call attendance type thing. And they said, you know, reserve guard folks over here, active folks over here. I was like, reserve or guard? What is that? (laughs) (laughs) Did not know it existed until I had already signed up. Um, Although, um, you know, it's situational and subjective to everyone in their life situations. But where I was when I enlisted, I 100% am glad that I started on active duty. Um, I was just a punk kid that needed some life experience and, um, ideally I just wanted to live overseas and active duty is the best way to do that. And I, um, and that's absolutely what I did. I, you know, spent a year in Korea and three years in Europe there. I think by the time I got out, I was about 22, I had been to 40 countries, saved up a good amount of money, learned a lot about what I didn't want in life, which I think is sometimes more important than learning what you do want to do, but seeing, the direction that you don't want to go just in certain people and certain jobs and whatnot. So in the reserve opportunity, it's called palace front mm-hmm. there where you go from active right into reserve. That's what I did after my four-year contract. And, um, I, I made, I made that move solely out of, I just wanted to be a full-time artist and creative. And, um, Again, that's what I did. I got out and started. I did a year at art school long enough to realize I didn't need a degree to sell painting. So left art school and started painting uh, murals and selling art full time. And I did that for uh, a good amount of time until I got introduced to the camera. And now my time's divided amongst all of that. And what I think is really cool about the reserve and guard is um, most of the people in our squadron probably 80% do this full-time on the outside in a civilian capacity on some front, either GS employees around the Air Force, around the DOD. We got folks that work as professional broadcasters for ESPN and whatnot. We have people that work in the schools teaching um, media. Uh, We have people that work as full-time camera operators, artists, freelancers, gig workers like myself. And so we're on the camera really every day and all these different capacities. And we're able to take what we're learning there and then bring it back into the military. And I think that's, that benefits the DOD because we're bringing some outside perspective in what's um, the government's not always on the cutting edge of media. If you've ever seen government. videos, <laughs> So um, that, that's one benefit we bring, I think as reservists, I mean, there's that, that active duty mindset. And I think this is really true, especially with like army infantry and whatnot. If you're an infantryman, I think your best infantrymen are probably going to be coming out of active duty where they're doing that all day, every day to be, you know, a school teacher and then go be an infantryman for 
you know, one day out of the month, maybe someone that's doing that 30 days out of the month is just typically going to be better. But in certain career fields, probably like aviation and media in the medical community, the reservists, we're still doing this every day and sometimes more than active duty because we're not pulled to all these side duties. We don't have extra duties. We're actually practicing our craft, you know, almost every day of the month, a lot of us. So I think those career fields especially benefit the DOD as a whole. And I think that's a something that we really bring to the table as guard and reserve. And uh, specifically uh, with, with our squadron, the experience is now on the reserve side at combat camera because one, we can stay there for so long. The active duty folks um, have to get that whole PA, you know, training and spectrum. So they'll get pulled back to PA shops. And I think that hurts the career field sometimes or, you know, our job because you get people that are really good at it and then they get pulled out. They don't want to go back to a PA shop. So they just get out. And, um, the continuity I think is coming with the reserve there. And, uh, the nice part about being a TFI is when those active duty folks reach that point where they're looking to reassess their lives and careers, they're already trained up and in the same building. And now most of the people coming to our squadron are coming from active duty. And I think it's saving the Air Force time and money and uh, good people too. So I think, again, it's just a, a big win-win for everyone. Yeah. And we're not actively recruiting either. So I'm not even going to put that out. I don't think. <laughs> uh, and we, that's what's fun about our squadron is I, I think we do get top notch. Some, some of the best folks around the Air Force, around the DOD in media. And so we've been able to be pretty selective on, on who, you know, who we, who we uh, bring in, which, which is good. I think. I'd like to get you on at some point, Corbin, with a, um, this is a totally selfish and separate thing. I do some mentoring for like high schoolers, like mm-hmm. obviously not where anybody can hear it, uh, but I do some, and there's like a, there's a young dude who's like trying to figure out his way and how he can mix like his love of the outdoors and love of this and like rock climbing and all these different things and mm-hmm. photography and trying to figure out how he could do that in his next life. As he gets ready to like, he's trying to like sit down with his parents and tell him he doesn't want to do the standard college thing. Yeah. I, I need to actually get you on with, with that. And then I, just like, that's just a selfish thing for me offline. But Kayla mentioned something earlier about C-Slick. And I did want to ask you that personally, do you know, as, uh, as a combat camera, like, you know, being on the air side, yeah. are you eligible to go to C-Slick? Do you know? I don't know. I've talked with you offline about that. We should find out if you're yeah. eligible for that or not. And if, if you're not, People in the Air Force, people just in general be like, God dang it. Like, why are you this way, Nate? But if you're not, then I want somebody to explain to me why you can't because that's bullshit. So I think I know a guy. Yeah, I know she knows a guy. I know I know that guy. (laughs) Now, that said, he prefers her more than he does me. Let's just be honest. Like he's (laughs) he he tends to listen to her more than he's gonna definitely gonna listen to her more than he listens to me. Yeah. Uh, It's a great question though, Nate. Yeah, it is. It is a thank you, Caitlin. It is a great question. Yeah, no, it's a really good question. But because I think that would, would be, be cool. a different, yeah, it'd be it'd like be a cool. different perspective. And that's what C-Slick's about. So yeah. it's a, so it's the career enlisted aviator. It's the senior leadership course. So it's senior okay. NCO types, that kind of thing that are going in. But okay. I don't see if you're wearing, if you've got a set of wings, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to uh, see if you could get a slot in that school. So we uh, should, I can try to work with you offline and find out that question. Cause I think that'd be a really cool thing. It's another added incentive 
um, you know, for one, for your career field and two, for the senior NCOs in your career field. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, our squadron as a whole is really good at um, pushing and promoting and sending people out to that stuff when there's interest and slots available. So we'll talk about that offline. Cause I actually want to like figure that one out, but yeah, cool. All right. Awesome. Well, I'm going to hit pause on this and take you guys off of here and we're done with the recording, but thank you so much for joining me uh, for doing, to do this. Yeah, um, I'm pretty easy to find if anyone has follow-up questions I got. Yeah. Where is everybody at? I guess I should have said that. Where, where are they? If they want to follow you or talk to you or anything else. <laughs> I've, um, I'm pretty heavily, or I should say I'm pretty easy to find there on social media. Um, I'm, life's been pretty busy and I haven't been as engaged as I have been in the past, but I try to respond to um, all serious people there. It might even just be a link to previous stuff I've, I've written or shared with other people. So I don't have time to ex- explain the breakdown to everyone that asks the same question over and over again, but um, I'm really passionate about helping people find the right place in life. So um, reach out if needed. I don't check my dot mill every day. So <laughs> if, if I don't respond there, I'm, I'm not ignoring you. There you go. Caitlin, you're online so people can reach out if they'd like. I know most people will find it via Lethal Minds. That's how most people are going to find you guys now. If they don't already know you, whenever they listen, they'll go on Lethal Minds Journal and then go from there and then click on them and they'll be in the cool. in the links. So, okay. All right, guys, I'm going to hit pause on this. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go, everybody. Uh, last thing I'll say after listening to Caitlin and Corbin and myself uh, is remember what the name of the episode is, The Bad News Bears. It was a lot of fun. I, obviously, I'm having poking a little fun at, at myself and, of course, Caitlin and uh, Corbin and everybody else in the reserve regard. But uh, I, I mainly want to reiterate, if you're leaving active duty and you're trying to figure out if you want to go just 100% cold turkey or if you're trying to figure out if you can still somehow be in the fight Consider the reserve uh, or the guard, depending on your branch, depending on what you have. Connect with the recruiters. Uh, reach out to somebody like Kalen or somebody like Corbin or myself. Uh, we need people that have various backgrounds and want to do this kind of a thing um, sometimes and when called upon exclusively. So please check it out. All right, guys. Thanks for listening.